Hi, everyone. So welcome to the live stream today. Very much excited for having you again on the next session as we continue with our discussion towards the ICA November 2021 examination with our focus on uh, consolidated financial statement. In case you missed the first session, that is a section one. Is my audio really up? Yep. Okay, so my audio is up. I wanted to make sure that it's up. So we're looking at how to prepare consolidated financial statement. And uh, in the section one, we spoke about the overview of consolidated financial statement. And I see some of you guys coming in. You are welcome to the stream. Give us a thumbs up on the video when you join. It helps us a lot uh, to enable the YouTube algorithm to push the video so we can reach as many students as possible uh, watching these videos and also uh, assisting a lot of people. So comment in the chat box, any questions you have for me. Let me know where you are watching us from and uh, what you are studying, what are some of the things you would want me to uh, share my thought on, what topics you would want us to cover on the channel. Put them in the comment section in the chat for me. If you are watching us on YouTube, make sure you give us a thumbs up and then share the video as well with your friends and colleagues on WhatsApp, on uh, Twitter, on Facebook, and all other platforms. Let us get as many students as possible to get access to these content as we continue with our discussion in the consolidated financial statement. And I hope that uh, we are all up here. Uh, thank you. On Facebook with some thumbs up coming in. Nick Peter, uh, thank you. Nicholas, uh, Samwini, and then Namanda, Andrew, thank you very much for the thumbs up. And uh, also on YouTube, some of you are giving us a thumbs up. Thank you very, very much. Let us know where you are watching us from. If there are any questions, put it in the chat for me. Let me hear from you guys. Let's see. Let's see. We are getting people joining. You are welcome. You are welcome. And Subscribe to the channel in case you have not subscribed to the channel. Click the bell notification icon so that when I go live, you'll be the first person to be notified so you can join me on the live stream in that case. Yep, yep, yep. I see some people coming in. Uh, let's, get, let's get some of the comments coming in. Jijo Thomas said, hi, hello, Jijo. Uh, we are not hearing. Okay, we fixed that. Irene Labi said, hello, good afternoon, Inshira. Hi, Irene. I hope that you're doing well. Irene Labi. I think it's been a long time I heard from you, Irene, on the live stream. I hope you're doing well. Uh, Temi Tofe Ariyo said, okay, we can hear you. All right. Precious Okechi said, good evening, sir. I'm Precious, watching from Lagos, Nigeria. Awesome, Precious. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Jilo said, Dubai, UAE. All right, that's awesome. And welcome to the live stream. Uh, Colonel said, hi, Chief. Hello, Colonel. Welcome to the stream. Nicholas Samwini said, even in senior, joining from Tumu, Upper West Region. All right, uh, Nicholas, thank you for joining us. Uh, EJ Augustine said, good evening, sir. I'm watching from Nigeria. Awesome. Colonel said, I'm watching from Liberia. That's awesome. Uh, Museba said, good evening, sir. Good to see you. Always a pleasure, Museba. Um, Ibrahim said, hello, I am Hawa. Ibrahim from Nairobi, Kenya. Awesome, awesome. We got some people coming in. Uh, Maxwell 
Kweja said, hello, Nshira. God bless you. God bless you to Maxwell. Thanks for joining us and give us a giving us a thumbs up and sharing the video as well. And uh, Leonard Montadi said, Leonard from Tanzania. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Thank you very much. We see you guys all with the comments, with the likes, with the thumbs up. We want to get straight up into the discussion for the day. I'm going to be reading the rest of the comments as we proceed in the discussion real quick. Like I mentioned uh, in the section one of this discussion that was on Monday, in case you missed that, you can check the description to this video on YouTube. You can get the part one to watch in that case. In the discussion, we emphasize on why entities are supposed to prepare consolidated financial statements. And most importantly, we mentioned the various ways through which control can be obtained. We also spent some time to look at the key definitions or key terminologies that we need to understand when it comes to dealing with consolidated financial statement, talking about a parent entity, a subsidiary, an associate, control, and significant influence. We discussed all of these things. And then we ended the discussion looking at uh, entities that can uh, prepare consolidated financial statement. But most importantly, most importantly, I mentioned to you the um, five approaches that you need to adopt when you are attempting any consolidated financial statement question. Like I say, I said to you, and I keep on saying, you want to answer consolidated financial statement questions as the final question because the, the reason is that there are a lot of items there and it's not that you cannot do it. You will be able to do it or you may do, be able to do it, but the timing involved will be too wide. So I mentioned that the first thing you want to do is to do the workings first. Don't be in hurry to go and extract any financial statement. Try to open brackets and put certain things in brackets. You're not going to score any marks for that. Uh, go through the footnotes one after the other. Very, very important. Number three, pay attention to the standards, uh, to the footnotes and recognize the accounting standards involved. Because like I said, each footnote is going to be an accounting standard. And I emphasize that these are a number of the accounting standards that will be included when it comes to dealing with consolidated financial statement. And I said, you skip the notes that you don't understand, then you understand and remember the workings that provides you with a free mark. Then I listed the key workings we're going to be looking out for in that case. So let's start the journey with the group structure. Almost always in uh, every consolidated financial statement of the bed, once you read the preamble of the question, if preamble is not available, they will be given a footnote. They will be given a footnote. So if we, uh, the first footnote, if the, immediately you read a question, the first thing you want to identify is what is the ownership structure of the company? Uh, is it a control? Is it a significant influence? And what exactly is going on in that particular case? Now, when it comes to determination of the group structure of an entity, what is actually going to be happening is that the entity is going to be uh, either a group, simple group, or it could be a complex group structure. Now, the simple group is for the level two financial reporting students, and the complex group structure is for the level three corporate reporting or advanced financial reporting in that case. Now, when it comes to the simple group structure, what do we have? What do we know? What are we supposed to do? With a simple group structure, it is where, for instance, a parent has an investment in the subsidiary, 
And so in that case, we're going to have a non-controlling interest on the other side. So for instance, a parent acquires 80% shares in another company. And so the non-controlling interest is going to be 20% at the end of the day. So that will be a simple group structure. Then other time, there could be an associate where the parent's company has acquired less than 50% ownership, which gives it uh, a significant influence. Remember, in associate, we have significant influence. So that gives us, uh, or that makes us to treat it in accordance with IAS 28 in that particular case, using the equity accounting. Remember, we're going to be talking about that in a moment. So that is going to be equity accounting. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Then we mentioned also that that when it comes to a company that we have control over, certainly 80% means we have control over the company. So if we have control, it means we're going to be doing a full consolidation at the end of the day in that case. Now, let me bring up a, a scenario and let's see exactly how we can uh, figure this, this out. So let's say that, for instance, P acquires 4,000 shares in S and 5,000 shares in Q. Share capital. P. Let me put it this way. Share capital. We're going to have P. Q. S. 10,000. I'm going to say it's a $1 equity shares. Q, we're going to put there 12,000. And then S, we're going to put there 7,000. So if this is the scenario available, how do we determine the group structure? Remember, since P is the one acquiring, it means we are dealing with P as the parent entity. It means we're going to be preparing the consolidated financial statement for P at the end of the day. All right, for P at the end of the day. So P acquires 4,000 shares in S. So if you look at it, P's ownership in S. What is the percentage of ownership? They acquired 4,000 shares, and the total shares of S is 7,000. So if you look at it, that's going to be 4,000 divided by 7,000 times 100. So how much do we have if we should punch this out? Someone should do fastest hand for me. Let's see. So let's see, 4 over 7, that's about 57%. So like 57% in that case. Now, 57%, what does that mean? It means they have what? Control. So the investment in the subsidiary or in S will be treated as what? 
uh, an investment in uh, a subsidiary. So that is a whole uh, full question in the uh, full consolidation in that particular case. Then let's look at again P investment in Q. Now in Q, P is acquiring five thousand shares. Q shares is twelve thousand. So let's do five thousand over twelve thousand times one hundred. Let's see the ownership coming in right. Thank you. Thank you, guys. I see some of you punching it up for me. Thank you very much. Let's get the next one. 5 divided by 12 times 100. That's about 41.6%. So we can say 42% in that particular case. Now, since it is 42%, that means this will be what? An associate. Are you getting it? So there are times in the question where the examiner will give you the percentage of acquisition directly. Other times in the question, the percentage of acquisition will not be given. If it is not given, you just look at the number of shares that they've bought and compare it with the total equity or the total number of shares in the company that they bought the share in. So that in that case, you'll be able to determine whether it is a full consolidation or equity. So the investment in S is giving us control. So we're going to do a full consolidation in that. Does it make sense? We do a full consolidation. But the investment in S gives us a significant influence. Okay? So since we have a significant influence, what's going to be happening is that we're going to be using the equity accounting. And I'm going to be talking to you about that in a moment. We're going to use the equity accounting Yes, Ibrahim and Nick, thank you. Also, uh, Irene and then Kanmo, thank you very much for confirming the figures. So that is how we start with a group structure. So if this is, for instance, a question we are solving, then how would the group structure look like? The group structure will simply look like uh, this. So there's going to be P, there's going to be S. Remember, P has 57% in S. And then it means the non-controlling interest. It's going to be 43% in that particular case. Then they also have another investment in Q. That investment is 42%. So that is going to be treated as an investment in associate. So of the bet, while starting with the issue about consolidation, the first thing we need to look at is what? The group structure. Like I said, this is a simple group structure. What if... What if we are building up this question? So I'm going to build up this question a little bit. What if company S goes and acquire some shares in company Y? So let me build it up in the illustration here. I will add Y to it, and then I'll put the uh, 15,000 shares in company Y. Then I'm going to add a prefix that X acquired S acquires somebody is saying something. Shira P share is four thousand and not five thousand in the second one we we that we had forty two percent. Oh yeah. I don't understand what you're saying. Clarify that for me. 
So let's say S acquire whatever, um, 10,000 shares in Y. Now, I want you to pay attention to me very well. Remember, currently, our group structure is that the parent company has made an investment. P has acquired 57% shares in S. So S is their subsidiary. Then S has also gone to make some investment decision in Y. By acquiring, acquiring 10,000 shares of the 15,000 shares in Y. So what do we do? If we check it out, 10,000 over 15,000 times 100, let's see the ownership that we have there. So 10 over 15 by 100, that's about 67%. So that is 67%. Stay with me carefully here. This is where we get into uh, complex group structure and level three people. So... Since they have 67%, you cannot go and say NCI is 33%. You can't say that. You cannot say that. So if you don't know and you say, oh, the NCI company Y is 33%, wrong. You are wrong. Because the NCI in Y is not 33%. So the question we then ask ourselves is, how do we calculate the non-controlling interest in the sub-subsidiary? Because remember, S is the subsidiary, Y becomes the sub-subsidiary. Now, so in this particular context, how do we calculate the non-controlling interest in the sub-subsidiary? So calculation of non-controlling interest in the sub-subsidiary. The way you calculate this is, you must first find out. Remember, you see, once the parent entity gains control in the subsidiary, whatever the subsidiary makes, or whatever investment the subsidiary makes, the parent company has each share of investment of that investment. Let's take that again. Whatever investment that a subsidiary makes, the parent entity has its share of ownership in that particular investment. So if you check it out, the question we, the way we calculate the non-controlling interest in the sub-subsidiary is to first find the controlling interest in the sub-subsidiary. So, controlling interest in the sub-subsidiary. So, since we are doing Y, we use Y. So, what is the ownership of company P in Y? The ownership of company P in Y will be 57% of 67%. Why did I do that? Because whatever investment the subsidiary makes, the parent entity has its share of ownership in that investment. Whatever investment that has a subsidiary makes, the parent entity has its share of ownership in that investment. So let's get our controlling interest there. So that will be no... Okay, I can just do 57. 57 times 67 divided by 
hundred. That is thirty-eight point three one. Thirty-eight point one two, something like that, or thirty-eight point two percent. We can say that. Now, stay with me carefully here. If you do, somebody can confirm the figure for me because I'm not using a good calculator. Maybe it could mess me up. So 38.2%. Now, stay with me carefully here. If you are not careful and you said, eh, Inshira, the 38.2% is less than 50%. So why cannot be a sub-subsidiary? You are wrong. Why is that? Because why will still be the subsidiary of company P? Because P controls S, who in turn controls company Y. So this is how we get a controlling interest in the sub subsidiary. So then how do we get a non-controlling interest? The non-controlling interest is the balancing figure if we deduct the controlling interest from the 100%. And that is going to be, okay, thank you, Kanmo, you've confirmed this one. So 138 is going to be 61 0.8. I don't know if I'm right. Should be right. Yeah, 61.8%. So you realize that in this illustration, it looks like the NCI value is greater than the CI value. So if you're not careful, you will say, oh, Shira, it is not a subsidiary. It is a subsidiary. Why? Because P controls S and S controls Y. So even though P's investment in Y is less than 50%, Y will still be treated as a sub-subsidiary of P. And we will do a full consolidation on them. This is how we determine the complex group structure when it, and how we calculate the non-controlling interest. It is one of the key areas that the people doing advanced financial reporting or corporate reporting really mess up. So you want to make sure that you understand the treatment very, very well in that particular case. So that is how we determine the non-controlling interest. So it is not 33%. Non-controlling interest in company Y is not 33%. Instead, it is 61.8%. Now, somebody may ask, why is that? The reason is that, you see, whatever investment... S is making in Y, the non-controlling interest in company S also may, are making part of that investment. So literally, we are eliminating part of the controlling interest from the subsidiary into the sub-subsidiary at the end of the day. And this is how we determine the group structure and also the non-controlling interest, both with a simple group structure and a complex group structure any questions for me that is the first thing you want to make sure you identify when you are dealing with consolidated financial statement if you miss the group structure you miss the ownership structure then you may not be able to determine whether it is control whether it is significant influence whether we should do full consolidation or a partial consolidation any questions for me please see some comments coming in let's see if we can look at them real quick coroma said hey bro hope i didn't come late i think so 
you did not. Stan Obi, good evening, sir. Good evening, Stan. I hope you're doing well. Ibrahim Nase said, watching from Abuja, Nigeria. Okay. Uh, Thomas said, would like to understand the difference of combined financials from consolidated financials. Uh, I don't know the, the context within which you are asking uh, the question, but uh, if I know the context, maybe I'll provide you with some perspective on that. Good evening, Ishira. Thanks for the good work. I am joining from Uganda. All right, Andrew, thanks for joining us. Uh, then I've been, I've watched, I've seen so many videos about consolidation, but I still find it hard to do consolidation in a step-by-step -step basis. Is the step-by-step -step format we can follow when doing questions? Uh, I don't get the latter part of your statement, but um, what you need to understand is that it is not about how many videos you watch. It's about understanding the principles that underline treating consolidated financial statements. So if you understand that each footnote is going to be likely to be an accounting standard, and you have to understand that you have to work one footnote after the other and not just jump with any pre-conceived uh, knowledge, you should be able to solve consolidated financial statements. So if you cannot solve consolidation, even after watching a number of videos, then what I would suggest is that you still don't get it, you still don't understand it, and you have to really look at it better. Sadiq said, good evening, God bless you. Uh, hope I'm not late. I think so, Sadiq. Then I think that those were the correction there. Please, can I get a copy of your book to buy? Yes, you can get a copy of the book. Uh, it is available. I don't know if you're talking about the public sector accounting. Yes, it's available. It's 120 Ghana cities. You can call or WhatsApp this number, 050-114-9296, 050-114-9296. You can see the number below the screen. So you can call and then you'll be able to get that book. Benjamin. Irene said, Inshira, please. Okay, I think I've dealt with that. Um, Pat Sin said, hi, Inshira. Watching from Zimbabwe. Okay, that's awesome. Precious. Or uh, Who is this? Noisy said, I got here late. I will definitely catch up after. All right. Labi said, Inshira, your screen is blur. Really? Is my screen blur? Probably it's your network. I don't know if my screen is blur. Can you confirm it's my screen blur? Who is also seeing a blurred screen? Who is also seeing a blurred screen? I don't think we should have a blurred screen. Okay. Kanmo said, uh, can you please go over the complex group again? So this is what we are saying under the complex group structure. So in the complex group structure, what we are saying here is that whatever investment the subsidiary makes, the parent entity has its share of ownership in that particular subsidiary. Whatever investment the subsidiary makes, the parent entity has its share of ownership in that investment so i am illustrating here that 
the way you deal with the non-controlling interest in the sub-subsidiary is to first calculate the controlling interest in the sub-subsidiary. And the way you calculate the controlling interest in the sub-subsidiary is to be able to uh, first uh, uh, find out what is the percentage of ownership. Uh, okay, EJ said your screen is okay. All right, so I think Irene, probably your network is messing you up. That's why you're seeing a blurred screen. So if we look back, we realize that P has 75% in S, and S is buying 67% of Y. So how you, do you calculate the controlling interest? Very simple. The controlling interest is simply be the ownership of P times the ownership in Y. Then the balancing figure of that from 100 gives us the non-controlling interest. That is how we do the calculation. So whatever ownership the parent has in the subsidiary, pick it up and multiply it by the investment that the subsidiary makes in the sub-subsidiary. Now, this computation is important because when you are calculating goodwill, you're going to be using the same concept when dealing with goodwill in that case. So, Kanmo, let me know if that makes sense for you. So, that is the first thing about the group structure. Group structure. Now, once you, did the, you do the group structure and you realize that there is an associate then you need to account for the investment in associate when dealing with uh, using the equity accounting. So let's look at how we deal with investment in associate. Investment in associate. Remember, in accordance with IAS 28, Investment in associates should be accounted for using the equity accounting. The equity accounting simply means that you bring in your cost of investment, then you bring in any adjustments to the cost of an investment to arrive at the carrying amount of the investment that will be taken to the statement of financial position. You bring in your cost of investment, then you bring in any item that will be an adjustment to the equity for the entity in that case. Yeah. So what do we do? Let's put a pro forma down. So immediately you do the group structure and you realize that, oh, there is an associate, then the next workings you want to do is what? The investment in associates. Does it make sense? So that is how you pick it up. That's how you pick it up. Because when you pick up something, you want to make sure that you label it out and table it out in your working slide so that you'll be able to maximize the marks that you obtain from each of the footnotes, from each of the footnotes. So investment in associate, we're going to be bringing the cost of investment. That is how much they pay to acquire that significant influence. It will be brought in that particular case. Then there will be share of post-acquisition profit, share of post-acquisition profit or loss. Profit, if will be added, loss will be deducted during the period under consideration. Now, the po remember that 
Whilst doing the group structure, one key thing you need to take into consideration includes the following. The date of acquisition. Two, the reporting date. And then three, the post-acquisition period. So when doing the group structure, you have to be on the lookout. What is the date of acquisition? What is the reporting date? And what is the post-acquisition period? If you mess up with the post-acquisition period, that will ultimately affect a lot of your workings. It will ultimately affect a lot of your workings. So whilst doing the group structure, we will know, oh, it is a full-year acquisition Oh, it is a mid-year acquisition or it is a part-way acquisition. Then you will know whether you have to take the full profit or just prorate that profit in that particular case. So we bring the cost of the investment, how much we paid to acquire the shares. Two, any post-acquisition profit or loss will be brought uh, for the period under consideration. Three, any dividend that has been paid or any dividend that has been received will be brought here and we deduct it. Now, please note, please note, this particular workings will be done if we are preparing the consolidated statement of financial position. If you are preparing the consolidated statement of financial position, then you will need the carrying amounts of the investment in associate. So since you need the current amount of the investment in associate, you need to apply the um, equity accounting. However, if you are preparing the consolidated statement of financial, uh, sorry, the consolidated statement of profit or loss and other comprehensive income, you wouldn't have to do this full workings that I'm talking about. You wouldn't have to do this full workings that I'm talking about. Now, stay with me carefully here. In the consolidated statement of profit or loss, it is the share of profits that we take there. So this share of profit or loss must go to the consolidated statement of profit or loss. Note, there are times when the dividend received has been included in the uh, parent's other income from the financial statement that has been given to us. However, that it is not the dividend that has been received that we account for. It is the share of profit. So the way you prepare the consolidated statement of profit or loss is that if the dividend had been included already in the parent's other income, you're going to take it out. Then instead, you will bring the share of what? Profit. Because it is the share of profit that goes into the consolidated statement of profit or loss and not the dividend received for the year not the dividend received for the year does that make sense so you make sure that let me know if that makes sense for you in that particular case because that treatment is very very important when we are looking at that then the next thing is that there could be impairment Please be careful here. The impairment we are bringing here is not impairment in goodwill. Okay? This is impairment in the investment in associates. 
So if, for instance, the associate's value has gone up, or in the post-acquisition period, the associate did not perform well, so the share price dropped, and we are having any value coming down, that impairment loss will be accounted for in the financial statement as well. So we bring in the cost of the investment, we bring in share of profit, we bring in any dividend that we have received during the period, then any impairment will be deducted. Sometimes it depends on the question, but these are just uh, something you need to know about. Usually what you will see is the first two. If the examiner is excited, he will add the third one to it, the dividend issue. And so this balancing figure is what will go to the statement of financial position under non-current assets. So the consolidated statement of financial position under non-current assets Investment in associate figure that will go there is this particular one. So what are we saying? From the group structure, once you understand the, uh, the fact that, oh, an investment is an investment in associate, what do you do? You take it straight up into the investment in associate, and then you account for it in that case. So any questions for me, real quick? Let's see if I have some questions coming in. Okay, so Kanmore said, thanks, uh, okay. Um, Charity, clear, all right. Mumuni said, hi, Shira, good evening. Thanks for this opportunity, always a pleasure. Uh, Labi said, it's okay now, right? Then Mumuni said, please, uh, Irene, go to the top of your screen. You will see some three vertical dots. Click on it and uh, select quality. Choose the highest quality in your video. will be clear. Thank you. Okay. I think that's about the resolution. And it will depend on the internet bandwidth. Uh, in that case, sometimes you can even select the high quality, but if your internet is not also strong, then it could affect you in that case. So any questions? I hope everybody is good on that. That's the first part. That's the first part, the group structure. So from the group structure, we from the group structure, we look at it and then we bring it there in that particular case. That's the first thing. Once we finish with the group structure, we go to the next workings. What workings do we do next? Again, if you are preparing the consolidated statement of financial position, if you are preparing the state consolidated statement of financial position, then what is going to be happening is that we will prepare or do the net asset schedule. Please note that the net assets that you are doing here is the net asset of the subsidiary. You don't bring anything about the parent here. Only the subsidiary's information will be coming here. Now, if it happens that you are in the complex group structure where there are two subsidiaries, then certainly uh, you will bring the two shadows up in that particular case. Certainly you will bring the two shadows up in that particular case. So net assets. So what we do is that we will bring at acquisition here, then at the reporting date, so put in our cash columns. Now, 
this net asset schedule, like I said, will only be prepared if you are dealing with a consolidated statement of financial position. If you are doing the consolidated statement of profit or loss, you may not have to do at acquisition at year end. Probably you would need only at acquisition so you can calculate goodwill, which is a key thing that will be in the exam for every consolidated uh, question in that particular case. So if you are preparing the consolidated statement of profit or loss, you may need only at acquisition so that you can calculate goodwill. But if you are preparing the consolidated statement of financial position, probably you may need at acquisition at year end. There is even an alternative way where you don't even have to do at acquisition at year end. There is an adjustment that you can do straight up so that you will skip these workings. And when we are solving questions, I'm going to be illustrating that to you so you can decide whether you use this approach or the other approach. So what do we start with? We start with the share capital of the subsidiary. Remember, like I said, I'm using only one format, but if it happens that we have two subsidiaries in a complex group structure, we're going to be having the two subsidiary coming in. So we bring in the share capital. That's going to be free. And it doesn't change at acquisition and at, at the reporting date. It's going to be almost always the same figure. Then we bring in the retained earnings. Please note, there are times in the question where the examiner will give us just the retained earnings at the date of acquisition. So if the retained earnings at the date of acquisition is given, we bring it down, and that same figure will be at acquisition and then will be at the reporting date. Then during the year, whatever profit the entity made will be taken to the end of the year. If it is profit, we add it. If it is loss they made, we will deduct it. You got to be careful about this one. Well, now, if we are giving both the retaining in at acquisition and the retaining in at the reporting date, then bring the specific figures at acquisition at, at the year end. But where we are not giving the figures directly, that is where you have to bring at acquisition, both at acquisition at the reporting date, then you bring the profit for the year also in the second column. Now, once we get these up and going, uh, maybe let me put it up. There could be share premium. The subsidiary may have a share premium. If they do, the same figure will be at acquisition and also at the reporting date. Then once we do this, this is where we start dealing with the footnotes one after the other. And that's going to be fair value adjustment. When it comes to the footnote, always the examiner is going to be making some statements. The examiner is going to say that the net asset of the subsidiary, or let me put it this way, the current amount of the net asset, NA, of the subsidiary are equal to their fair value with the exception of now if the examiner makes that statement with the exception of you have to pay attention to what follows the examiner could say a building 
with fair value above or in excess of, say, $20,000. Now, when you see this statement, what does it mean? It says that the current amount of the net asset of the subsidiary are equal to uh, their fair values with the exception of, say, a building. And this building has a fair value that is above or in excess of what? $20,000. What does that mean? It means that the entity has understated its assets. So there is an understatement of the building, the value of the asset. in the books of the subsidiary. So since there is this understatement in the books of the subsidiary, what is going to be happening is that we go and add it back. We go and add it back in that particular case. So anytime you see above or in excess, it means the entity or the subsidiary is understating its assets and we, assets must be reflected in the value that they are supposed to reflect. So fair value adjustment, whatever it is, once the examiner says above, it could be building, it could be whatever it is. I'm just going to, because it's a pro forma, I'm just going to say maybe building. And it's above or in excess. So you bring that figure at the date of acquisition, then at the reporting date. But note, building is a depreciable asset. For that reason, what is going to be happening is that for that reason, what is going to be happening is that there will be an excess depreciation that has to be calculated. Or we could call it additional depreciation. Now, this additional depreciation relates to the post-acquisition period, and so we will deduct it. Why are we having an additional depreciation? Because remember, they have understated their assets. Since they have understated their assets, it means they have also understated the amount of depreciation they are supposed to charge for the year under review. So, on this 20000 which is the excess understatement, we are going to be charging depreciation using the economic useful life of the asset for the period of the acquisition that we have. That is the concept about that. Note, since they are understating their assets, the net value of this, that is the difference between the excess and the additional depreciation, must go to the statement of financial position as an addition to the non-current assets. So we're going to be adding the net figure to the statement of financial position under non-current assets. That's the first part of fair value adjustment. The second part is that the examiner can say, still the same preface, but this time around, a plant with fair value below maybe $10,000. When this happens, it's the opposite of the first one. It means that 
the subsidiary has overstated. So there is an overstatement. So there is an overstatement of the net assets, an overstatement of the assets in the books of the subsidiary. Because remember, an asset cannot be carried over its recoverable amount. So probably the fair value of the asset is 10,000, but the company is carrying it at 15,000. So they are carrying it above its amount. So if it is below, we have to go and deduct it. So we could say plant, and it is below, and that will be deducted because they have overstated the value there in that particular case. Now, what is the meaning of this? Since it is below and they have overstated their assets, it means they have charge more depreciation than they are supposed to charge. Are you getting the idea? They have charged depreciation than they are supposed to charge. For that reason, what is going to be happening is that we have to do, again, an additional depreciation here. Or we could use the word excess depreciation for the post-acquisition period. And this time around, we will add it back. Stay with me carefully. We will add it back. Why are you adding back? You are adding back because they have overstated their assets. They have charged more depreciation than they are supposed to charge. So you are adding back. Again, when it comes to this one, the net figure here must go to the statement of financial position under non-current assets. Must go to the statement of financial position under non-current current assets. So this is one key statement that will almost always be in the footnote for consolidated financial statements. Either it is above or it is below. Then you must know if it is above, add it back, subtract excess depreciation. If it is below, subtract it and add back any excess depreciation. Then there could be other fair value adjustments in the question. For instance, maybe the entity had not accounted for something well in their books, so there could be other fair value adjustments as per the standards. Maybe they are supposed to capitalize uh, a certain expenditure as per IAS 23. Maybe the finance costs they are supposed to capitalize, they did not capitalize, they wrote it off. So if we come... We need to come and capitalize in that case. So IAS 23 could be in town there. Then there could be a provision, IAS 37, that they are supposed to make, 
but they hadn't made it yet or they have not incorporated it yet in the financial statement. We have to also incorporate that in the financial statement of the books of the entity in that particular case. Or better still, there could be some IAS 8 errors that they have committed in the previous year financial statement or even in the current year financial statement. So there could be other fair value adjustments as per IAS 23, as per IAS 37, or as per IAS 8. Whatever it is, you must know how it is supposed to be treated. Because if you remember, I shared with you that you must be aware and note that the standards will be at play when you are dealing with consolidated financial statements. So knowing which standard is going to be applicable in a specific footnote is going to be critical in that particular case. So that is the fair value adjustment. And you're going to be bringing them up. There could be other issues as well coming up in the question, but generally, these are some of the things that we're going to be looking out for. And that gives us the net asset. Let me say this before we go. Now, there could be intra-group trading. So where there is intra-group trading, and I want you to stay with me carefully here, because I'll be talking about this much later on. If it happens that the subsidiary sells to the parent, stay with me. If it happens that the subsidiary sells to the parent, and at the reporting date, the parents still have some of the goods bought from the subsidiary in stock, in inventory, then what is going to happen is that we will say the subsidiary has not realized the profit on the goods that are in store yet. For that reason, if the subsidiary is selling goods to the parent, remember, the subsidiary can also sell an asset okay, to the parent. Whether it is goods, which is still in the stock of the parent entity, or it is an asset which the parent entity has, there is going to be what is called provision for unrealized profit. And I'm going to talk more about this when we are looking at uh, the issue about intra-group trading. And I want you to stay with me carefully here. So that provision for unrealized profit relates to the end of the year, and that is always going to be deducted from the end-of-year net asset schedule. And that is something very critical also that we need to understand in that case. Sometimes when there is impairment in goodwill, we could decide to uh, build it into the system here. If there is impairment in goodwill, we could decide to bring it here, and that will be less. Note, not impairment in investment in associates. Remember, everything you are bringing here is about the subsidiary. So when there is an impairment in goodwill, we could bring it in the net asset schedule. And I'm going to be explaining to you why some of these things are done later on in that case. You add it up, add it up, and that gives you the net asset. Now, this is where you got to be careful about it. The net asset at acquisition, okay, at acquisition will be used when we are determining goodwill. So when we are calculating goodwill, we use the net assets as acquisition. Then the difference between the net assets as acquisition and net assets at the reporting date is referred to as the post-acquisition profit or loss. The post-acquisition profit or loss. 
And this will be shared between the non-controlling interest and then the controlling interest. That is the parent company. The non-controlling interest and the controlling interest. And that is the second uh, key working you need to know about the net assets. Now, remember, you do this whole workings we've done here, assuming we are preparing the consolidated statement of financial position. But like I said, arriving at the post-acquisition profit or loss, there is another way we could use and we could arrive still at that particular figure. Any questions for me, please? Any questions for me, please? Let me know in the chat if there are any questions coming in. Then let's see. Kami Sulema said, how can I get your book? Because I'm in Sudan. You can buy it on Amazon. So you can check and then you can get it on Amazon. Hello, sir. Kindly repeat the treatment on interest income and dividend. Which interest income? We've not mentioned anything about interest income. So if you can contextualize where you are referring to, then I can take you there. Come again on the treatment of retained earnings. We said that when it comes to the retained earnings, what we do is that if there is retained earnings at the date of acquisition, but we don't have the retained earnings at the reporting date, then all we will do is that the same figure that we put under the date of acquisition, that is the same figure that will go to the reporting date. Okay? Then we go to the profit or loss of the subsidiary for the year, then if they made a profit, we will pick that profit and come and what? Add it back. If they made a loss, we will come and deduct it at the end of the year in that particular case. But like I said, there are times when we will be giving the retained earnings at the date of acquisition and then the retained earnings at the reporting date. In that case, we wouldn't have to go and look for any other profit to bring anything up. That is what we are saying there about the retained earnings. Chimuka, uh, Chimuka said, Chimuka, Chimuka said, I don't know if I mentioned your name right. Hi there. Thanks for the second session of consolidation. Though joining in at the end, I will definitely watch the playback. Regards. That's awesome there in that case. Ali J. Kuroma said, uh, re-explain fair value in excess and its depreciation. What we are saying here is that when there is fair value in excess, that's what I'm using the illustration here, it means the entity had understated their assets. So if they are understated their assets, okay, they are understated their assets. So that is understatement of assets. So if they have understated their assets, what do we do? that excess would have to be added back to their assets, the same figure at acquisition, the same figure at the reporting date. However, since they have understated their assets, it means whatever depreciation they are supposed to charge for the year, they've charged less than they are supposed to charge. For that reason, what is going to happen is that we will calculate the depreciation for the post-acquisition period, which they have not added, then we'll bring it and subtract it from the year-end uh, net asset schedule in that case. For the year-end net asset, net asset schedule in that case. So let me know Ali J. Koro, J. Koroma in that case. 
Irene Labi said, please take the last part again on the difference between the acquisition and the reporting date. So we said that the uh, difference between the acquisition date net asset and the reporting date net asset, it is treated as the post-acquisition profit or loss. And this post-acquisition profit or loss is shared between the parent entity using their ownership and then the subsidiary also using their ownership. So that is it about that. To arrive at the post-acquisition. Okay, so that is what I just said again uh, in that case. So the, the difference between the net assets at acquisition and the net asset at the reporting date is the post-acquisition profit or loss. That post-acquisition profit or loss will be shared between the parent and then the non-controlling interest. If it happens that the parent owns 100%, then that whole 100% will be taken to the parent's uh, group retained earnings. And we'll look at group retained earnings later on, and then you'll see how each of these approaches stack up with each other at the end of the day. So you realize that it's very important for you to understand the group structure. Then once you know you are preparing the statement of financial position, you can then structure the net asset schedule out. So that is it about uh, that. Let me know if that makes sense for you. So, Henry Ni Nunu, thank you for the thumbs up or heart on Facebook. Isaac Idioba, Kwabena Ajeman, Osei, Andrew, uh, Herbert Ajay, Philip Mbango, Amadu Jamila, thank you very much for the thumbs up on Facebook. Really, really appreciate. And thanks, you guys, also on YouTube for the thumbs up on the video. It helps us a lot so that we can reach as many students as possible. This is what helps the video to be pushed to other people as well in that case. Remember, in case you have not uh, subscribed to the channel, you subscribe to the channel. Stan Obi is saying that I don't get the intra-group. What I mentioned was that uh, when the parent, when the subsidiary is selling to the parent, and the parent still has some of the goods they bought from the subsidiary in store, then it is termed as the subsidiary hadn't earned the profits they claim they have earned from the goods that they have sold to the parent entity. For that reason, that results into what is called provision for unrealized profits. And we will get into that later on when we are looking at the intra-group trading. But that provision for unrealized profit will be brought and deducted from the year-end uh, net asset schedule or the year-end profit of the uh, subsidiary at the end of the day. Because remember, the subsidiary is selling to the parent. Please note, if it is the parent selling to the subsidiary, Provision for realized profits will not come here. So you have to read the lines in the question. That is why I'm illustrating that it is the subsidiary selling to the parent. So if it is the subsidiary selling to the parent, no problem. Provision for realized profits shall be deducted from the subsidiary's profit for the year. But if it is the parent selling to the sub, that will be treated in group retained earnings. And we'll be looking at that later on in our discussion. So that is it about that.
So, San Obi, let me know if that makes sense for you in that case. Right, so that is it about that. <laughs> because of time constraints, I'm going to conclude around here today. And tomorrow we will uh, continue with a discussion still on the workings, understanding the key principle. And everything I'm talking about here is actually a footnote. <laughs> Do you get the idea? Everything I'm talking about is actually a footnote. So, and like I told you, we go through the footnote one after the other. So as you are reading the footnote, okay, this is this, then you treat it. Uh, reading the footnote, this is this, then you treat it. So God willing, tomorrow, we're going to be looking at how goodwill is calculated. Now, this is a done deal area. And if you mess up with the goodwill, it's going to affect you. It is a free mark you can get, and it's a done deal in the exam hall, that 99.9% .9 of the time, you will have to calculate it for between uh, three to five marks, depending on how excited the examiner is. So join me same time tomorrow at 4.30 p.m. As we look at the uh, next discussion, and we'll look at how goodwill is computed, then we'll look at how intra-group trading is also treated. If they, if they sell assets among themselves, how do we treat it? If they sell goods among themselves, how do we treat it? Then we're going to be looking at the group retained earnings, the valuation of NCI at the closing date, and that will be all about these principles. So join me same time tomorrow at 4.30 p.m. as we continue with our discussion on the consolidated financial statement. Like I said, no matter how excited you are about consolidated financial statement, you want to make sure that you answer this question as the last question in the exam hall or the last but one question. Do not answer it first because you are likely to spend more time than required whilst there could be other uh, questions that you will be working on and getting some easy marks as soon as possible. So that's it about that. And thank you very much for joining the live stream. It's always a pleasure coming your way and always assisting you guys to prepare well for the examination and uh, most importantly, pass the exams in that case as we assist you guys to prepare well for your exams. So I'll catch you same time tomorrow as we continue with our discussion and as we get into the details for consolidation. Till we meet again tomorrow, stay safe and take care. Okay, see your comment coming. Nana Apia Kubi said, God bless you, Shira. God bless you too, Nana Apia, and thanks for joining us. All right, so that's it. I'll catch you same time tomorrow as we continue with our discussion. See you, and remember to share the video and subscribe to the channel. Bye-bye.